Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spirit Seeker Hour. Spirit Seeker Hour is your chance to delve into the world of your inner spirit. The Spirit Seeker Hour is brought to you by Spirit Seeker Magazine. Go to www.spiritseeker.com to find out more. And now, here's Cindy Meyer. Hello and welcome. This is the Cindy Meyer Weekly Radio Show, and this show is brought to you, as you just heard, by Spirit Seeker Magazine. And we are in a process of change. Spirit Seeker has been a print magazine for 14 years in St. Louis, uh, Kansas City for three years, and most recently we added Chicago, Illinois, uh, as our third sister city. And what is happening is that the younger people are wise and they do not want to burn down our trees, and so or cut down our trees, I shouldn't say burn. And so what we have find, found is that the 20 and 30-year-olds, no matter what, they don't pick up the printed copies anymore and they're reading it online. And because of the radio show, we are having an international listenership. So starting with our August issue, I am so excited. We will still have the print magazine in the Midwest, um, as we always have, but we will be enlarging our August issue. So the Spirit Seeker magazine in, in the Midwest maybe 28 pages, but our online magazine will be um, anywhere from 42 to 64. Those are our first goals. And so you'll um, you'll be able to read a much more large variety of articles, and we'll be able to offer you many things because of this expansion. So I'm very excited. Also, the new format, just so you know, uh, when you go to Spirit Seeker now, you can flip the pages. But our new format will be, if someone um, is an advertiser and they have a website, you'll be able to click right on their ad, and instantaneously you will be at their website. <clears throat> the other thing is that we will will be archiving our issues. Years past, we did that, and then I don't even know why the decision was made not to, but my creative team has been working so hard and diligently behind the scenes trying to take Spirit Seeker to the next level. And so we will be archiving all of the 2011 issues. And as of our July issue, they will all have the um, the capability of flipping and going to the ads. So this is exciting for, for Spirit Seeker. And then one last announcement before I bring on our guest for the evening is that um, – if it's not up today, it'll be up by tomorrow, but um, my webmaster, Zeta, is working on this. You'll be able to see the complete program guide for the August 7th Holistic Expo that is uh, in St. Louis, and that will all be at the website, and it's also inside the magazine. So there we go. Now I am very delighted to bring my guest on for the evening, Mr. Michael Rhodes, and I have been reading his article in Spirit Seeker Magazine for the last three months. I have... Um, you know, been on his website many times and have uh, spoken to several of the people affiliated with the work that he's doing. And all I hear is Michael Rhodes. He's wonderful. He's amazing. He's fabulous. He's filled with love, filled with light. And so, Michael, welcome to the show. Well, that's a lovely introduction, Cindy. Thank you. <laughs> You're very welcome. And, you know, I... I you have quite a story, and you know we have time. We we have time, you know, to share wherever we want to go with the call tonight. Um, and listeners, we will take um, questions toward the end of the show. Um, but the front end, we're just going to get to know Michael and his work. And um, Michael, you're coming to St. Louis and teaching a seminar soon. And you know, so yeah, so let's just yeah. let's just start though with um, 
with your awakening. I mean, and, and you know, it sounds like that was like a pivotal time for you. Um, but whatever you want to share, and then and then I'll just ask questions as we go. Okay. Well, I mean, to, to go back a fair way, I, um, you know, I was um, born in England and um, grew up on a farm. Um, grew up next to a farm. My father was a farmer, but we didn't quite live on it. And I was a very right-brained child, or boy, in a very, very left-brained school. So I was a complete misfit. And so I stayed bottom of the class and, and left school at about 14, which seems to be a wonderful start in life. And um, the, then I worked, went to work on my father's farm. And at 21, I got married. And uh, everything was going, you know, okay. And uh, then my father died when I was about 25. And at 26, we emigrated to Australia. And I had a wife and two children by that stage. And so in Australia, it was I, I bought a farm on the foothills of a mountain in Tasmania. And the farm had all the usual problems that everybody else's farm had. And, but I was completely new to this because the farm I bought was a beef farm. And I had plans on being a beef baron where you rode, ride around in a Range Rover and smoke Marlboro and don't <laughs> do much work. So that got badly dashed. And so we had a caterpillar plague in the first year. We had three years of drought. We had rural recessions. And I ended up in all this having to be a dairy farmer. And um, that was tough. I had 100 cows to milk twice a day. And it took me eight weeks to find out I didn't like it and eight years to actually work my way through that. Um, but it taught me big lessons. I was a very impatient, undisciplined person. And so I had to learn patience and to discipline myself. But during all this, I began to realize that the way farming was happening was not as at all intelligent. And I became a, one of the leading organic farmers in Australia at that stage, because Tasmania is the island state of Australia, down the south, southern, off the southern end of Australia. It's about a big, it's a good long trip overnight ferry, fast ferry to get there. Anyway, so so that changed me very greatly. As I changed the farming and became a pioneer in organic farming, it was changing me. And it was there during all that stage I asked the question, who am I? And that had a huge impact on me. And uh, you know, I realized I wanted to know very badly. And life continued for the next year, but then I decided... I probably need to sell the farm because one day I was up on the foothills of our on our highest um, land, which was about 2,000 feet on the foothills of Mount Arthur, and I was on the track to slashing bracken, just cutting bracken to so it didn't smother the pasture. And it was lunchtime, and I stopped for a break, and uh, everything was quiet. When I stopped the tractor, there wasn't a sound. And you need to realize that this land was surrounded by thousands of acres, thousands and thousands of acres of forest. And you don't have silence in the forest. There's always some sound there. And yet there was no noise, no sound, nothing. And I thought this was rather strange. And I ate my a quick meal and um, laid back on the grass looking up in the sky. And above me, I saw an eagle. And it's one of our Australian wedge-tailed eagles, just spiraling gently around about two or three hundred feet above my head. 
And I sort of looking at it as you would thinking, wow, wouldn't I love to be up there with the eagle? And the stillness I was noticing was sort of stilling my thoughts down. And, and there was a sudden inner movement, and I was looking through the eyes of the eagle, looking down at me, looking up at the eagle. And I almost lost it in that moment, but the stillness held me. And I looked, I could see the farm, and I could see all, I could see across, over the whole farm, I could see where my cattle went in the forest, which I didn't know about. And later I checked it and found, yes, all the cattle trials I noticed were there. But as I continued to look through the eyes of an eagle, two things came into my awareness. One, the eagle looked through the eyes of immediacy. In the immediate moment, there was nothing else. There was a, there was like intelligence, which is in everything, but there was this immediacy, not looking through. In that moment, I knew that we humans look through the eyes of the intellect, that we look through the eyes of our knowledge. We look through yesterday's eyes. We look through everything, but we don't see life the way it is. We see through our past. We see through our expectations, our hopes our desires, our pain, our, our, our victim, everything, we look through those eyes. But nature doesn't do that. But this was the first time I was so connected with it. So I was looking through the eyes of an eagle that saw with the eyes of, the, of experience and immediacy and nothing else. And as I realized what, so how unique this was, it's as though the vision changed and became entirely metaphysical. And I was looking down at a great gulf, like a great gulf that was metaphysically I could see going across the land. And on one side there was my body laying there with a tractor, and on the other side there was all the forests and nature. And I realized instantly that this was a gulf of separation, and that somehow through our millennia of living, nature is on one side of that gulf and humanity is on the other. And in that moment, I decided I wanted to cross that gulf of separation. And with that decision, it's like the eagle dropped about 50 feet, and I suddenly back my awareness was in my body. And sadly enough, the logical reasoning left brain got tore into my experience and tried to to ruin it. But I, 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 I held it. I could never lose it. It hit my heart as much as the brain. But that changed my life, that changed my life, um, the who am I question and then this. And I knew that I couldn't cross that gulf and remain a farmer. Now, I'm not saying for other people, but for me, I had to let go of farming, which was a bit scary because I knew nothing else whatsoever. You know, I left school at 14. And, um, but it took me 15 years to cross that gulf of separation and long when, when I was on the journey, I realized that it wasn't just nature on one side and humanity the other. It was like identity was on one side and self, the who I am, was on the other. And it took me 15 years to cross that gulf. And when I crossed it, I realized there was no gulf to cross. But you have to cross it to know it doesn't exist. You can't cross it intellectually. And so, so, you know, I mean, so Michael, like, it's so interesting. I just had a discussion, you know, with someone um, just a few weeks ago talking about how sometimes we reach this point where we realize it's it's 
hard to describe, but we have these moments, you know, when when we're present, things like this happen. And I said, you know, there was this book called Cosmic Consciousness that someone handed me in the 80s. And it talked about, it was like Sir Francis Bacon and, you know, uh, Emerson Thoreau, some of the, you know, the different people that, you know, just were, Cataclysm, cataclysmically changed in this one moment yeah. where where and yeah. and it doesn't happen often I'm, or or it happens that we just don't we're not even like slow down enough to get it but but I can just see and and of all symbols the eagle represents great spirit so it's I mean what I, this is an I mean when you were talking I had goosebumps <laughs> oh I could I can I can I've had a sort of um. I, I haven't had a colourful life, but I've had a very different life, a, a, an adventurous life. I, anyway, we'll just continue the story, and I'll sort of yes. take you back on it. I'll change the journey slightly. We, um, I continued farming for a couple of three more years, and then and then I quit. And by now we had four children. I've been on the farm 12 years. And so we left the farm, and we set off around Australia in a vehicle, I had this uh, big white van thing with windows in the back, but on the space that I <laughs> got, I think I was a, I, I arrived. I'll, I'll explain it. I um, on the one side I had enter a new age, on the other side unfold like a flower, on the back love, and on the front love bug. <laughs> and so we travelled around in this around Australia. Boy, that was controversial, and uh, to the horror of my children. But it's like ten years after Flower Power arrived, we arrived <laughs> a little God. bit a little bit late. But anyway, that caused a lot of growth in itself. But eventually, based on the Finghorn um, Foundation in Scotland, I knew Peter and Eileen Caddy rather well. I um, we started a community. Um, my late wife and I we started a community in Australia, and we called it the Homeland Community. And I was there four years, and basically I went there to change life on Earth. And I very quickly realized that it was not life on Earth that, that needed changing first, it was me. And when I was changed, maybe I'd see things differently. And so I was there four years, and that began a change, because when I went there, I realized I didn't like myself at all. But when I left there, I liked myself, and I'd got through a whole lot of my personal issues I was through. Not by any means all of them, but I got through a lot of them. And um, then I then I went and lived in a house, um, not far from the community. We rented a house because by this stage I had no money, and um, we rented a house. And then I started my really started the work of communicating with nature. And then I wrote the book that that um, came out about 23 or 4 years ago in America talking with nature and I followed that with journey into nature and they're still being published and they're now considered classics and they're still being published in many languages and in still in America they put them together H um, Kramer um, published them in America and they put them in together into one book so talking with nature and journey into nature is now one book that I experienced probably around 25 years ago and um, I'm sort of very pleased with them because they became classics. I was actually compared by one critic with Henry David Thoreau, who was my literary hero. So I rather like that. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, over the um, after about six years of living in the valley, we're near the community but not in the community, and developing this ability to communicate with nature and writing those books. 
I eventually inherited a small amount of money, and we sold that. But we we um, moved out of that house and and bought a house up in southeast Queensland where I still live, and we just had enough money to buy that. It worked out perfectly. And while I was there, I went through the experience of of awakening. And in the first year or two, it's 1986 as regards the physical time, linear time, but of course awakening is not a linear process. It happens in consciousness and it happens in the moment and, it, and it, you never actually leave that moment. So when somebody says, well, I was awakened in such and such time linear, it doesn't really happen that way, but there is a linear moment that one could measure it if you needed to. And so... That was in 1986. In 1980, I was was involved in a metaphysical experience and I met this being. And this being was, you know, a very advanced being. And I said to this being, I want you, can we make an agreement? I said, I want to be awake or dead by 50. Can we have this agreement? Awake or dead by 50. At 40, that seemed a bit of a good idea, especially when you're on Aries of Scorpio rising. But um, it, it seemed a good idea. But when I the, this being finally agreed, sort of looked at me for a while and then nodded. And so when I came out of that experience, I sort of realized what I'd done, and I whew, that frightened me a bit. But it fitted in with my nature, and from that point, my growth, grew and I learned then that I grew through pain and suffering which is not a good idea and I really don't recommend it but the next nine years were pretty pretty bad and um, by the time I was 49 and three months I was very sick I had um, cellulitis that kept coming in my face I'd had 20 years of severe back pain and I was pretty I was pretty sick and I reached a point where um, it came to a climax, and I made a choice, well, either I heal myself or die. No more healers, no more doctors, nothing. And, and obviously I didn't die. And I went through a very powerful experience, which I could describe, but probably doesn't matter. And the result of that was awakening. And uh, life sort of changed dramatically. I lost all anxiety, lost all worries heal my body in that one moment of all pain and all disease. And um, and then I found, to my, somewhat to my shock, I became a very reluctant, um, um, a very reluctant at traveling the world and teaching other people. I had a great reluctance to do that. I didn't want fame. I didn't want to be noticed. And I, I managed pretty successfully. This was my 20th year of traveling. I managed pretty successfully to travel for about 15 years without, um, I was never really discovered in America, Still, and, and I'm still not, but in Europe I gradually grew and grew, and I have quite a big profile in Europe, in many countries there, but in America, well, this is, you know, they say if you can crack the big apple, but I never tried to, I wasn't interested, and um, so then my late wife died in 2006, and it's interesting because I had made a connection with Pan 20 years earlier. And all those 20 years, to some degree, I resisted it. But when my late wife, Trini, when she died, 
within about 48 hours, she was communicating with me exactly the way I communicated with Pan and the rest of nature. And I sort of realized that if I'm going to... Ex I cannot deny Pan and accept Trini and or, 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 the, or the other way around. If it's one, it's both. And so as, as though a membrane of resistance, some resistance broke down on the inside then, and I accepted Trini, and she taught me through my grief. And for the next year, we communicated, and I wrote the book about this, and there was others in it, but I wrote the book, Through the Eyes of Love, book one. And Pan was in that a lot. And at the end of it, um, it was Trini was saying to me, and I was in a deep metaphysical experience with her, she said, you need to let me go. And I realized after a year, I haven't let go. We'd been married 48 years, and I, has, I was very emotionally attached. And emotional attachment is not love. It is absolutely not love. And I, I reached the point where I was ready to let go. This, again, was in another metaphysical experience. And I reached the point where I knew I could and that I should, and, really, and I finally... And I knew that this was it. I mean, there's no saying, I'll see you when you come over, I'll be waiting for you. This was, she was going to continue her journey, and we might never meet again, as it were. Right. So the let go she was talking about was like forever. And when you've sort of known and been with someone 51 years, that's, that's a, I realized how attached I was. But anyway, I let go. And then I immediately, to my complete astonishment, had this experience, stepped into an experience of unconditional love. And that, for me, an awakening, I couldn't honestly say which one was the most powerful. But maybe the second one was, because I suddenly experienced unconditional love and what it is. And from that point, everything I do changed dramatically once again. And now the intensives I run are always based in unconditional love. And uh, so we can ask, you can ask a lot of questions in all this, but this sort of brings you up to date with me. Then, and then um, more recently I got married again to a lovely, lovely American lady who I'd known for um, 17 years, 16 years. And we had a very deep friendship, you know, um, with Trini as well. We were very deep friends. And then just suddenly, one year, um, 18 months later, suddenly... A friendship love was uh, was um, a romantic love to my complete shock and hers. But that was lovely. When you get well, blessings like that, take them. Oh, it's uh, they're so unexpected, and when they come, they're just quite amazing. Yeah. So, yeah. Michael, what a journey you have had. I mean, and you know, starting off with the farming, my my grandfather, you know, operated a 300 acre farm. It was actually my step grandfather, but you know, he raised me as if I was his granddaughter. And and I know how much work that is. You know, my stepfather, you know, it was expected that you stopped going to school and you helped work the farm. And yeah, you know, yeah. To, yeah, and and yet, you know, there's just a wisdom from from being with nature like that. And you know, you've contributed two different articles on gardening and being present with the with nature. And you know, your your writing is very deep. You know, just just yes. amazing. I seem you know. to have. You you read um, through the eyes of love book one and two, have you? Or you've got? Them? I have not seen the books. I've just had the articles. Okay. Um, I, okay. I, I I know. I really should get well, these there's, books. Well, there's a. <laughs> There's a strong chance that I'm going to be published in America by and England by um, Pindhorn Press. 
Oh, that's and a that, wonderful house, yes. That would yes. be good. There's a very strong chance that will happen, and that would be good because that would suddenly put me in America. These two books, um, talking of, I'm sorry, um, Through the Eyes of Love, book one and book two, and now I'm halfway through book three. They have, um, they have um, changed everything. I thought Carol actually sent you one or two of the books. Maybe I got that wrong. I, you know what? If they came in, I will check with my staff. I have not seen them, but um, okay. but I will okay. look for them before you do that. So, um, but okay. but I just have been experiencing through you through your website, and then you know I'm very intuitive, and I'm just like ah. And then your newsletter, you know, for listeners, it's um, to to get to Michael's website. It's Michael Rhodes, which is M I C H A E L R O A D S. Dot com, um, and he has a, a regular newsletter, and you can. I love how you can read it in English, German, French. You can read back issues. I mean, it's just really lovely that you have that. Well, you you see, know. Yeah. Well, we have like um, as a as a sort of an organization, which I never did want, but anyway, you can't can't do this without it. We've got now there's Michael Rhodes, um, Netherlands, Michael Rhodes, Japan, Michael Rhodes, Germany, right? Michael Rhodes. Um, Norway, Michael Rhodes, Belgium, Michael Rhodes, France. I mean, it keeps going on and on. Now, Michael Rhodes, UK. <laughs> That's just amazing. More. I can't remember them all. I can't well, if I may say what I, what I, if I may say what I see for you, sir, <laughs> is um, what I see is you're going to find an American city that is um, where Europe will come to you in the states as well. And I see translators, you know, in the back of the room. So it just feels like you're going to be, um, and I don't normally do readings on the air, but this is just coming through so strongly, so here we are. And I hope this is okay. Well, I, you're right, actually, because I have very good translators in Europe. I have um, really good translators. And um, what I'm doing there is growing very rapidly in Europe. And you see, all my books are in, they're in the German language, French language, um, Norwegian, um, right. Dutch. It's only America I haven't sort of come into really, not since the, not since those early books, Talking with Nature and Journey into Nature, which both became bestsellers over here. But of course, you know the public memory is short, and that's going back. Um, they were published about 20 years ago or more. They're still here, I think. But yeah. Yeah, but um, but the through the eyes of love, journeying with Pan. I mean, that just sounds phenomenal. And you know, you're doing great work, and I'm glad you're you're willing to travel and and um, etc. So may America embrace you. But you know, listeners, you know, this interview will be recorded and it's immediately available. So all you have to do is send people to the Spirit Seeker website. They click on the blog talk, and then this um, this interview will be ready to listen to um, by your friends and family as the minute this is done. And it's so fascinating, Michael. You know, I resisted doing a radio show this way for a long time because I was used to being in the studio, you know, with yeah. you know knowing and all the details and everything. And I thought blog talk. Yeah. I mean, on the internet. Well, it's absolutely fascinating because we have listeners from all over the world now, and oh, it comes. Yeah, it comes from, you know, the different guests emailing their lists and then, you know, here we are. So so you never know, yeah. you know, who you will reach. And um and so I wanna just mention your website or not website, your um your workshop. Michael will be in Saint Louis uh teaching a five day intensive, which we'll talk about in just a moment, um, from July twentieth through twenty fourth. And to find out information you would call Carol at three three oh six seven eight oh eight five six. I'll repeat that, Carol, at 330-678-0856. And this will be um, 
the, the topic is Emotional Balance 2012 and Beyond. So, Michael, let's just take a few minutes to talk about, um, because these are the intensive that you're offering worldwide, and this is the first, yeah. is the first time in the States, or...? No, actually, I've been doing them in the States to quite a few numbers for many years. Um, a lot of years I did retreats over here, five-day retreats. Okay. And then when I had the experience of unconditional love, which has stayed with me, then I, I, I was so different. The only thing that really made sense to me was, was unconditional love. And this is what I talk about. So when I'm talking of emotional balance, you know, People, we have like we have the physical body. Everybody's aware of that. We have a mental body and we have a emotional body. And every thought precedes an emotion. So what you think then triggers an emotion, and that emotion always manifests itself into your physical body. And here you have the basis of health, of good health, um, well-being, or disease, because. Everybody looks at it as a as viruses and and etc. That way, of course they're involved, but we have a field of energy, and our field of energy either attracts or repels viruses and other diseases. But we're creators, and everything we think creates. Every every in every moment of our life, we're creating the direction and content of every moment of our life. And when you realize that, there's no time out, not even for a cappuccino. And when you realize that, then you're the creator. And when no, nobody seems to realize they're creating. And then when you look at most people are living subconsciously, probably about, on an average, 95% of people spend 95% of their day, which means lives, subconsciously. So what we basically create is more of the same. And we've been doing this for so long, we've become attached to more of the same. And um, this, this is why humanity avoids change. We do not embrace change. Because you cannot change and remain the same. And everybody wants to change and remain the same, which you can't do. Right. Or they would say, this can go out of my life, that can go out of my life, but change doesn't do that. The name of change is a tsunami. And when that comes into your life, your life is smashed. I mean, you know, I was deeply in love with my late wife. And then one day, she was gone in America, gone, an aneurysm, gone. And in a way, that was a huge and incredible gift to me from her because she wanted to go, as it happened, because she was a person who did not believe in death and wanted to move on with her journey because she considered I'd become stagnant. And I had... I'd become stagnant because I was attached to her. And any emotional attachment is like an anchor. And while you're anchored, you're not growing. And I was going to quit that year. And so when she passed away, and, and then for the next year, uh, which I wrote a book about, the next year of teaching me how, you know, a, a greater view of life and love, um, with, with, the, with Pan as well, then that changed my life absolutely dramatically so now i i teach other people um about emotional balance so a lot of the time is spent with what the unconditional love actually is what it actually is and i can explain it in and give me five days an emotional balance and yes 20 and 12 and beyond i've had a, i decided it was time i had a look at that metaphysically and so 
these, um, and there are plenty of places for people if they want to come to St. Louis because they'd be very, very welcome. You know, I mean, most places I have at least 50 people here. I, I don't know whether I've got 20 or 25, but I'm not known here, you see, because I don't have books published, whereas they're in other languages, Japanese, German, as I said. They're all over the place. Well, and, and, you know, St. Louis is an interesting um, entity. You know, we're right in the middle of the country. They say yeah, we're the heart, we heart chakra. It. Yeah, they say we're the heart chakra. And, um, you know, it used to be that we were 10 years behind anything East Coast, West Coast, but things have changed so cataclysmically with the Internet and everything else. But, um, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and also St. Louis has a tendency to enroll at the last minute. Why, I do not know, but I've seen it over and over and over again. So listeners, tell your friends July 20th through 24th, Michael will be in St. Louis teaching Emotional Balance 2012 and beyond. And I want to um, give you the contact number. Please call Carol at 330-678-0856. Thank so, you. Michael, I, I, it just, you know, so for five days, it, it sounds it sounds very loving, very caring, very nurturing, but... We have, Cindy, yeah. we have people, and I'm not advertising this, but we have some people who come with cancer and go in remission. It's nothing that I do. It's because their consciousness raises. You know, Einstein said, you cannot, the, the consciousness that creates a problem is not the consciousness that can solve it. Equally, the consciousness that creates an illness has a problem um, getting well again. You can go to the hospitals and they cut pieces of you out. But if the consciousness hasn't changed, generally what you have will reoccur. But if you raise your consciousness, then like with problems, a, co a raised consciousness doesn't have that problem. And a raised consciousness with sickness in itself is enough to begin the process of healing that sickness. Now, the sickness may have left some um, biological damage to you, but um, generally speaking, you know, we had a girl in, um, in Australia. She had a brain tumor, benign but growing, splitting headaches, nearly driven mad with migraine. On the third day, it stopped. The migraine stopped, and she hasn't had one since. That's three years ago. The, the large tumor is now smaller, about the size of a grain of wheat and shrunk right down. There's nothing I did there. All I do, did is give, take her on a journey into herself, and this is what I do with people. I take them a journey, on a journey into themselves where they discover the love of the being they are, where they discover what emotional balance is, and, and I teach them the way to live that brings everything into a harmony within a human being. To me, it's very simple. If it works, continue it. If it doesn't work, stop it. But, you know, every, every audience I've been to this year, I ask, um, for three years, I ask them three questions, and they get some laughs out of this, but they'd also drive something home. First question is, is there anybody here <coughs> who never criticizes themselves? Nobody puts their hands up. My second question, does it work? Everybody shakes their head and looks sad. And third question, have you stopped? Well, of course, I answered that in the first one. Of course, nobody stopped. And I point out to them, the definition of insanity is to continue doing something that you already know doesn't work, but you continue doing it, expecting better results. That's insanity. Nature doesn't operate that way. 
once nature learns that something doesn't work, it begins to change it. We just continually, through millennia of lifetimes, keep doing something that doesn't work, expecting it will work, and it doesn't work, and it won't work, and so our hospitals are filled. Self-criticism, any form of self-attack does not work. And so it's simple to stop. And so I teach people how to stop doing that. How, in other words, to change their lives dramatically. Because if, if humanity doesn't make um, volunteer to make the changes, then ma nature will make them for us. And I don't think we'll like the process. Right. And I, I think that you're just very wise. And, you know, this, this non-attachment, like, you know, as much as you loved your wife, um, I mean, that that's apparent. But it's like, you know, people just don't understand that. Um, they, they don't get it. Emotional they don't get attachment it. You know, is... I know. Everybody I, seems to have it. Right. I was teaching um, just a basic feng shui class for, I don't know, it was for the cooperating school district of St. Louis, and it was their employees. And, you know, so I, I had 45 minutes to, like, speak on what feng shui is. And, and I said, basically, it's change. It's love it, use it, or lose it, you know, so that you can be present time with your life. And, you know, after, you know, and I made a few analogies, you know, of, mm -hmm. of stories of lives that have been changed by letting things go. And this lady came up to me afterwards, and I'll just never forget this moment. She waited patiently in line, and she says, I wanted to be the last one to talk. She said, I was afraid I was starting crying when I when I spoke to you she says my my um, marriage ended 15 years ago and my son died 18 years ago and she said I've not been able to let go of one thing from either the marriage or the child because I just felt like I would be betraying them if I let yeah, go yeah, and and yeah. you know she just in that moment this light bulb she says I now know after listening to you I'm going home and I'm letting it all go it's very selfish of me to have held on to this I'm like no don't don't look at it that way just look at it like you're now ready and you now have the key to knowing how to do it, you know, because yeah. it's just yet, yet another way to beat yourself up with, you know, I've been so selfish holding on to them. I'm like, no, 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 don't leave here with that. But just know, <laughs> yeah. know that you can lovingly let them go and that that's going to create the space for you to have love in your life now and in this moment. But it's all interesting. That energy, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, people try to understand life and really life, is if you've got a if you've got a movie, it's got thousands and thousands of frames, and every frame in that movie makes up the whole movie. And if you had one movie, one frame, and you looked at it, you wouldn't know what the movie's about. Well, our life is like that. We are people look on themselves as a body with a soul. Completely wrong. We are a soul with a body and personality, and that soul is immortal and continues. And so one life that we live is one frame in the continuity of the soul. One life, you could say, in the movie, which is called the continuity of soul. So people look at that one life and they don't understand it. Well, of course they don't understand it. They don't understand themselves. But in my awakening, I don't know about other people's, I found myself in a very strange situation. I'll tell you a story. When I was about 19, I worked on my father's farm, and there was a man there who had a class hatred. He hated the class system in England. And he took it out on me. And I'll keep this brief. He took it out on me. And because he was about 40 years older than me, hitting him and having a fight, didn't, it wasn't the solution because I was too much stronger than he was and uh, as a younger man. And so I felt helpless with this. Now, I had been born in a rage. 
and I knew that my rage was dangerous. I had already experienced that once or twice, even as a as a child and then as a boy. And so as a 19-year-old who was, had become very strong working on the farm, um, exceptionally strong, I was very careful of my this rage. And rage is not like anger, and it's not like... Um, anger is like a hot fire burning. Rage is like a moving glacier, and it's, a, it's much more dangerous. And I was very careful with this. And one day, I used to... He would always, what I call, he would talk to me about my family that I didn't really know. It's a, I won't go into that story, but I didn't really know my family. And he would say hateful things about them, and I would just bury it all. I never told my father or my mother. I buried it all. And one particular day, I called that his litany of spite. And one particular day, I was, we were working in the fields. We had pitchforks, which is like a fork with two long tines, curved, about 18 inches long and curved in the middle. And we were turning hay. It had rained on it quite a few times, and we were gently turning it. Um, the rows of hay, 20 acres ready to be baled. And we had machines, of course, but they were too a bit, all those years ago, they were a bit too, um, they hit it too hard and knocked the leaves off. So we were gently turning it by hand, a beautiful, warm, sunny day. And I was loving what I was doing. And suddenly he was behind me, about two places behind me, and he started up this litany of spite. All of a sudden my rage was there. And it just took hold on me, and I turned round, I drew the fork back, and I took two steps towards him. And just at the moment I was going to slam it straight into him, my whole body exploded into light and love. And I stared at him, I can still see his face, of stark terror on his face. And I heard myself say, to my complete horror, I heard my, because I'd never heard of a word like victimization or victimized, I mean, that wasn't in my vocabulary. I never heard anybody use such a word. And so I, ne I said to him, you'll never be able to do that to me again, meaning you'll never be able to victimize me again. And then I heard myself say, I love you. And I was so shocked. I went over the other side of the field, and he stayed on that side. And gradually through the day, this love and light faded out. And I always figured it was my guardian angel. But I never really knew. And yet, the, on the, when I'm 49 and three months, I went through my awakening experience, which was very dramatic, because I was so sick that I chose to step into death. And I'll just mention this, because I was looking in a mirror, and I wanted to say to this mirror, I love you. And the image in it was swollen up, my face was swollen with cellulitis, which is swelling of the subcutaneous tissue. It was in my eyes, it was in my... Uh, in my face, everything was swollen and bright red, and, and it was in my mouth. My nose was long blocked, and it was in my mouth. And, of course, once your tongue and um, throat starts to swell up, then I couldn't breathe. And that was in the process, and so I was terrified. And as I looked in the mirror and knew I couldn't do this, I knew for me this is the end. I, I, you know, I'm not going to make 50. And then I saw, for me, metaphysically, next to the mirror, there was like an aperture, a doorway, and it was dark, and I thought, that's death. And I tried to step into it metaphysically, because I'd made an agreement, and I was ready to keep it. Not strong and brave, terrified, but I had come to the end. I mean, I just couldn't do this. 
I thought I would be at the mount top of a mountain of triumph, and all I'd learned, managed to learn, was I had no idea what love is, no idea what joy is, and no idea what peace is, and I was completely beaten. And so I couldn't, I, as I went to try to step into this doorway metaphysically, I couldn't. So then I had to let go of my wife. And I eventually managed to do that. That was tough, but I managed to do it. Then I had, I still couldn't get in. Then I had to let go of the four children. You know, I won't go into the process. It took a long time, very difficult. I still couldn't get in there after I let go of them. Then I had to let go of the desire to be enlightened. That was easier. I threw that away, no problem. Still couldn't get through that doorway. Then I had to let go of God. And um, this is what came to me. And I felt that God had abandoned me eight years earlier. And so, although intellectually I knew that wasn't true, emotionally it felt exactly like that. And that, was, that proved to be more difficult than any of the others. And eventually I managed to let go of God. So, and I still couldn't step through, and I'm completely defeated by now. I couldn't think of anything else I'm supposed to let go of. And all of a sudden, with clarity... I knew I had to let go of Michael. And I didn't know how to do that. I had no idea how to let go of myself. I didn't know how to go about it. And I struggled for what seemed ages. And all of a sudden, I had a complete moment of clarity. There is no Michael. It's an illusion. You don't have to let go of him. He doesn't exist. It's just an illusion. The whole the identity, the persona, all that is an illusion. There's nothing to let go of. And I knew this with absolute, complete clarity. There was no Michael to let go of. And I stepped to the doorway, and I was in it. And instead of death, I found blazing light. And I saw, it's like, I can't, there's no way I can describe this. I saw all my life, not just this one, but all of them, all simultaneously. The simultaneously, I went through the whole lot, past and future. It was all like, as I sometimes describe a movie. But suddenly, I'm standing in the frame of this life where Michael, at 19, is just about to plunge this pitchfork into the into stand this other guy, this older man's stomach, or into his chest. And I'm standing there with all my muscles tense, just at the point of slamming it into him in a rage. And I reached out and put my own hand on my 19-year-old shoulder and let him at 19 feel my love at 49 and three months. Oh, my and gosh. That, and that transformed the moment, which brings up the question, Cindy, you know, later on. So that allowed me to become the person who could go back and change the moment, to become the person who went back to change the moment, to become the person who went back to change the moment. And so I realized, I looked through my life and saw this happen numerous times and realized it happens in other people's lives as well, in different ways. Many times we are, the future who we are is our own guardian angel. But anyway, the, the question is, of course, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? And I realized in that moment, what comes first is consciousness. And there is no first because all life is unfolding simultaneously. All life occupies the same space. So I came out of that with a sort of fairly, I came out of the whole experience from a much, a hugely greater experience of knowledge than when I went into it. Now I won't tell you why, but when you've read book one and book two, and I'm over here next year, I'm in book three now, 
And when I come over, if you want, we can continue this, and you can we can then talk about what you'll come across in book two, which you'll realise is 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 um why I'm not quite ready to talk about it because I'd rather you have read it first. Okay. And, well, and yeah. so and and so um you know when you look at life, those sort of things are happening life, and people want to understand life. You cannot understand life. Understanding is nowhere near adequate. Understanding is based in left brain and mind. But what we can do is have a mystical cognition of life. And I love mystical cognition. It's when you know something by simply focusing on it and knowing this is time to know it, and you know it. The whole thing comes to you. But that doesn't mean you you don't go around gleaning... You don't go around gleaning knowledge like that. It, it, it happens in the moment that you are that you need to know what you need to know, right? Not want to know. You right. get me? No, it's it's it's. You know, I mean, this is just so much of what you're saying is just. Um, how do I put it? It's eloquent. It's spiritual, and anyone listening to this can understand that there's infinite possibility. And what you're describing yeah. is almost like time travel. You know, th- this is the whole thing. There's nothing that cannot be healed. I mean, and most people don't know how to do it. They just don't have mm. the keys. And, and what you're talking about with the unconditional love and, you know, what I hear so often from people is, I don't want to come back and do this again. I want this to be the last last time That's I'm down right. here. I, and and right. you know, it's like, it's not what it's about. It's about It's about doing the best you can in every moment and being awake. You know, and and you know the the movie analogy that you have used with the different frames. Um, you know, I remember reading so many years ago by Gerald Jampolsky, "Love Is Letting Go of Fear," and he said, "There's never been a movie made that was perfect the first shoot through, so to speak. You you they go back in and they they're like, oh, I don't really like the scene. I'm going to edit and splice in the way I want the scene to have been played. And what you just described mm. with going back." At age forty nine to age nineteen, and doing mm. even more more repair work, it was almost like you changed that frame. Oh, I changed it completely. One hundred percent. Otherwise, I would have spent the next fifteen years in prison. Right. I mean, it was just, you know, and that see, was. It was almost like, you know, some people will say Archangel Michael came through. Some people would say, you know, if you're in the Hindu religion, Ganesh came in. You were going the wrong way. I mean, it doesn't matter. Guardian angel, it really doesn't matter. Somehow or another, your higher consciousness or someone hanging around you, watching over you, literally stepped in and intervened and said, wait a minute, mm, and shifted yeah. it that fast. And, you know, I mean, and you're in Aries with Scorpio. I mean, though, that's a that's an interesting combination. You're the oldest sign in the Zodiac. <laughs> and Scorpio, I mean, I have a Scorpio moon. And, you know, I know what it does for me. That's my emotional body. But your personality would be much more of a Scorpio with that rising. And I can see why it would have been hard for you to go out and travel because – a lot of times you want to do the work but not really be like front and center with it and you know and yet Scorpios can come in and I can see how you're such a profound healer because you're you're ancient in your wisdom and then that Scorpio would come in and cataclysmically change things that weren't working I mean because that's the energy of Scorpio that's not that's not it, you know your three questions that you ask your audience is it working mm. <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah. So yeah. profound, so profound. So listeners, um, your... I, I would I would like to have met somebody like I would like to have met myself when I first asked the question, "Who am I?" Of course, I wouldn't have taken any notice of me because I never listened to anybody, never followed anybody, 
never did any seminars, never did any retreats or any of that, never went to any talks. I'm, my journey was my own journey, and I made all the errors. But there was one thing I couldn't do was give up. It was absolutely, that was impossible. You know, I went through, I went through a, 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 I went through hell, but I, there's no way I could have given up. It was just not possible. Well, we're glad you did not, because you would not be here talking if you had. So here you are. And, um, you know, Michael, we, we, we have just a few more minutes. And, and, you know, I know that you have learned a lot through the suffering and through the different trials. And um, for the listeners who have had these challenges and just don't know where to even begin, where, I mean, besides coming to your seminar, which we hope, you know, but what would you would what I would say is to everybody, in every situation, count three and then choose love. Instead of getting angry, choose love. Just say to yourself, I am a conscious being. I consciously choose love. That will affect your life profoundly. I have a phone going off here and I don't see it. Okay, I now saw it. Okay, so sorry. Um, so, so you know, and that's the interesting thing, you know, like throughout all the different religions, it's, you know, love is the master healer. So so choose love. See, it can be, be humanity that simple. Humanity is only on the edge of knowing what love is. I'll just say two things. One, love is not an emotion. Never has been and never will be. Love, the real love, universal love, is the power of creation. And when you choose love, you are choosing the power to recreate yourself. And you recreate yourself in the image of love. Okay, so listeners, I want to give you a few more things. Um, The website to read um, about Michael's books, he's written several books. He has a newsletter that you can sign up for. You can just read it. I don't even think you have to sign up. You can just read it right there. It's it's, it's on the site. Yeah, and um, it's Michael Rhodes, spelled M-I-C-H-A-E-L-R-O-A-D-S dot com. And he will be in St. Louis July 20th through 24th, 2011. And St. Louis is a very friendly town. If you get here and you have money for the seminar and call the Spirit Seeker office, and we have all kinds of friends in this community, and they take people in for things like this. So you you can have your housing paid for. Um, you just need to get here and you need to get to the seminar, and we will help in any way we can from Spirit Seekers End. So, um, but to, to find out about this, you need to call 330 678 0856 and ask for Carol. And um, in this issue of Spirit Seeker on page 22, uh, hopefully my magazine's online by tomorrow. We had a couple of challenges at the end, but um, it should be up and running and it'll be, be on page 22. But actually, Living as the Being You Are is on Michael's website. So really, you just need to get to Michael's site and then you can read all the different things and etc. So um, we are almost off the air. If anyone has a burning question before we complete, otherwise, Michael and I are going continue talking for a couple more minutes but if there's a burning question all you have to do is press 1 and we will um, take you onto the air but um, if not then and oftentimes, Michael when we have a guest like you that's so fascinating people just don't even want to like bother to like ask a question they just want to keep hearing more words of um, of wisdom so it happens um, very much oh I know and then you also do coaching I saw that on your website so um, you not know, so much so, coaching counseling, counseling oh I'm sorry counseling I apologize Yes, yeah. that's right. That's and, um, so that's fascinating. So that can be um, arranged through your website, it looks like. They they fill out a form and email that to you. 
Yeah, I do on I do phone counsel, counseling, spiritual counseling. Okay. Yeah. And you know, so so here we are. We just have a couple more minutes and you know, I just want to mention, you know, like this the the whole thing talking about anger versus rage. I've never heard it quite described that way and um I I think I think all the listeners can hear that and you know what one of my things that one of my teachers along the way taught me is that you know anger is always sadness turned outward depression sadness turned inward and you know depression's harder sometimes to deal with once it raises a little bit and it gets out but the whole thing with anger it's my understanding that it weakens every cell in the body because it's never a high vibration to hang out with so you have no better, idea yeah, you have ahead. no idea how dangerous do you know, if you put a D in front of anger, you've got danger. Oh, I've never heard that either, but that's brilliant. And and you have no idea how dangerous it is. The, the present thinking is not even close. I'll just say this. When you are angry, you connect with every, every human being as a field of energy. When you're angry, you connect with all the anger of every human being on this planet. We live in a unified field of energy. You can you connect with the anger of every human being on this planet, and believe me, some of those angry human beings you wouldn't want to be in a twenty-acre field with them. No. And so, you connect on a on a very intimate way, a terrible way. And when you go to love, what happens, Michael? That's all in book two, by the way. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I want to um, read your book. Through the eyes and... of love, book two. Uh, so, so <laughs> listeners, it's this is a brilliant man we have here sharing his wisdom, and you know, Michael, you've you've lived it. You know, I'm Cindy, a former it's been, nurse. It's been, it's been very nice talking to you. You're very okay. very good at what you do. Well, thank you so much, and this and, has just been an and, honor and a privilege to work with you this evening and to help promote your work in in the states. And just know that Spirit Seekers here, we will help you in any way we can. And we're just happy you're coming, and we're happy you found the time to be on the show tonight. And listeners, once again, MichaelRhodes.com. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-R-O-A-D-S.com, and three three zero six seven eight zero eight five six. Just get to St. Louis, call the Spirit Seeker office at 636-530-7579, and we will help in any way, matching roommate situations or whatever. We'll we'll all do this together. So, A life-changing event. Okay. So, Michael, thank you so much. And um, listeners, we will be back next week, and make it a great thank week. Thank you, Cindy. And happiness to all. Thank you so much. All right. Good night.